chairman is finding the sweet spot of um, having strong consumer protections under the, um, the strongest possible uh, legal justification, which is under Title II, but not going to any extremes by uh, uh, bringing up highly controversial issues like unbundling or rate regulation. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler has stated that reclassifying Internet service providers as common carriers under Title II is an idea that deserves serious consideration. President Obama has already publicly stated that he believes new network neutrality rules should include this update. The issue has been hotly debated lately, with network neutrality advocates often in support of the proposal and large providers opposed to it. Large providers are not the only ones who question the wisdom of the policy for several reasons. A small number of municipal networks have also expressed concern. In order to address some of those concerns, Chris decided this week to talk with Chris Lewis, Vice President for Government Affairs for Public Knowledge. Lewis has worked for the FCC and has also spent some time working for the U.S. Senate. He's able to fill in some of the information gaps related to this question of Title II and how it would be implemented. We bring you the Community Broadband Bits podcast with guests like Chris Lewis each week ad-free, but we could certainly use your support. We hope you'll consider contributing to our work. Please go to ILSR.org and click on the orange Donate button. And remember, every little bit helps. Now here's Chris interviewing Chris Lewis from Public Knowledge about Title II and network neutrality. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Chris Lewis, the Vice President of Government Affairs for Public Knowledge. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Chris, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, you know, we've had Harold on a couple of times, Harold Feld, your colleague. Um, but I, I've long really enjoyed seeing you whenever I come to D.C. And, I, and I've thought of you as someone who I think is really sharp in our, in our community. Um, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. It's kind of you. One of the things what? that um, I wanted to to just note for our listeners is that is that you're not just someone who you know believes strongly in the public interest and this sort of thing, but you also have experience working within the FCC, uh, the Federal Communications Commission, and so uh, that's why I think you're a particularly good person to talk to today. Yeah, yeah, I did spend um, three and a half years uh, working at the Federal Communications Commission, actually. Uh, while they were working on the 2010 net neutrality rules. Uh, it was one of the many things I worked on there. So uh, it, it was a great time. I learned a lot about telecom policy uh, since I came at it. Uh, as a layperson, uh, you know, the agency is made up largely of lawyers and engineers, and I was neither of those, so I, I got to learn quite a bit. Well, today we were going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the Title II things that we know. Um, the, the official rules, uh, I believe, have not been released, but we have a very good sense of where they're going with it. And, and we've heard some rumblings from some of our municipal uh, folks that they have some concerns about the rules. And, and I think, frankly, that some of it, some of the concern is some scaremongering from some of the industry lobbyists, although... I always like to point out that that there is a history at the FCC, a, a long multi-decade history, I think, of not really properly listening to the voice of small providers. So I don't want to say it's illegitimate, but in this case, um, I do think they're incorrect. And I want to have you on to talk a little bit about a couple of the individual concerns. Um, so 
so thank you for for being a you know someone to help us understand these. But um, you know the first two are somewhat related, and we'll take them one at a time. But there's a concern from a number of the munis that the order, even though it is not contemplating rate regulation, where the FCC would set rates, that in the future the FCC might change its mind and then set rates. So maybe you can just quickly walk us through how the pending Title II network neutrality regulation um, uh, involves rate, rate regulation. Well, right. So the first point is that the, the rules, as they've been described uh, and outlined by the chairman in his proposal, do not involve rate regulation, uh, and you had that right. Um, uh, in fact, Chairman Wheeler has proposed, um, uh, and the FCC will vote on a proposal that uh, forbears from, uh, or you know, forbearance is just the fancy FCC word for waves. Uh, will you know basically waive uh, applying uh, the sections of Title II of the Communications Act that deal with rate regulation. Uh, uh, they'll forbear from using that against broadband providers. Uh, there are sections that explicitly deal with that that uh, that are going to be uh, subject to forbearance. Now there are sections that also generally deal with um, the standards for non-blocking, non-discrimination uh, that uh, some folks feel like may apply to rate regulation in the future. I think that's the danger you're f- referring to. But the good news is that uh, this chairman. Uh, has said explicitly that uh, he does not intend to create rules uh, that uh, that create rate regulation for broadband providers, and that's a good thing. I think he's listened to the concerns of broadband providers uh, in setting up that sort of balance. Uh, if the FCC in the future, let's say when this chairman, who's not in favor of rate regulation, uh, if the FCC in the future wanted to try and go down that path, it would have to go through a whole new process uh, where uh, the public would uh, be able to give their input. And you know, by and large, uh, you know, uh, the public to date has said they are not interested in re- re- regulating uh, broadband. Is there any history? I mean, do we know anything in the past about how often the FCC changes its mind regarding forebears? <laughs> Sorry, I just want to make jokes about bears and wolves and stuff. I know, it's quite a word for bearing. Um <laughs> Well, and actually, I'll just say briefly that recently someone suggested that they weren't sure if unforbear was a word <laughs> or unforborn. <laughs> so we'll, we'll try and keep it easy. We should make it a word. <laughs> I think so. So yeah. has the FCC ever unforborn uh, a rule that it once forbeared? You know, I don't know of any... Um uh, any unforbearance in the history of the FCC. Yeah, that's uh, my understanding. Usually you, see, usually you see it go the other direction where uh, they start with strong rules and then forbear from um, sections of the Act. And you, you can forbear from uh, the regulations or you can forbear from larger parts of the statute. And uh, the courts have been very clear that that is up to the agency. So if you want to unforbear, uh, if that's possible, uh, I would assume that it would take a whole uh, uh, public process for the FCC to make a case for it and get comment from the public on it. Uh, it could not just be uh, snuck in. And I think it's worth maybe just taking a short step back now that we've jumped into this and noting that the way this all sort of works, you have 
Congress originally gave the Federal Communications Commission authority to regulate different kinds of technology differently in different kinds of buckets, Title I, Title II, Title whatever. Um, and you, know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think of it as each one of these buckets has a broad set of rules. And so you have wireline voice services in Title II and you have wireless voice services in Title II. And so even though both could be subject to all the same rules, the FCC has chosen to forbear certain rules as appropriate based on the technology. That's right. There was a major um, effort to uh, forbear from parts of Title II uh, when they categorized mobile voices as a Title II service. Um, and so mobile voice you know, is subject to some of the uh, rules in Title II, but not all of them. Uh, and they went through a forbearance process to do that, in addition to the, the spectrum rules in, in Title III, uh, which deals with, you know, spectrum management, uh, which is, uh, you know, how, how, uh, how mobile uh, service works. So I think we can roll right along, and the rest of these ones will, will take a little less time because when we've, we've gotten the lingo out of the way. And, and the next one, in fact, is pretty much, I think, the same answer as rate regulation. Uh, what are the chances of unbundling or the FCC requiring that anyone who owns a network has to share it with rivals? Right. So, um, you know, the chairman, ha- again, in this proposal, did not say that he was going to uh, require unbundling. Um, so, um, you know, that is, uh, uh, I think that is a fear out there that has not been founded by the proposal that the, the chairman of the FCC put forward. I think he's been very careful to, uh, do what he needed to do to one, protect, uh, basic net neutrality principles of not blocking non-discrimination, uh, you know, banning pay prioritization, and of course, uh, the important transparency principle. Um, then he's been very careful to, uh, selectively forbear in his proposal from uh, sections of the act that don't have anything to do with broadband um, or that could be harmful to uh, the promotion of broadband. So, uh, for example, he uh, has said he's going to forbear from pieces of uh, the universal service uh, statute uh, so that companies are not burdened with uh, fees immediately upon reclassification uh, and if the FCC wanted to look at putting uh, universal service fees onto broadband, they would have to go through a, a process of a proceeding uh, with the public's input to figure out if that's something that they wanted to do. So he's been very careful. Um, and uh, when it comes to services that don't own the network um, or unbundling, you know, that's something that I think could be teed up in the future, but uh, he has not expressed any interest in doing that, and it would require uh, a a very public process to do it. And let me ask you something, because, you know, your job is to know what is possible in D.C. And for the foreseeable future, given the power of Comcast and AT&T and Verizon, you know, even though some in the public interest community strongly believe that we should have a uh, unbundling policy, can you imagine where that, how that might happen within the FCC, or is that just totally unrealistic? Yeah, I think... You know, in today's debate, it is unrealistic. Uh, just looking at the political scene here, there is strong support, bipartisan support, uh, amazing polls out there that show, you know, 80%, 85% of Republicans supporting the idea of net neutrality. Then you see, uh, as you get more specific, as you talk about net neutrality using Title II rules, you see less and less support. 
you see more of that sport just on the Democratic side. When you start to talk about things like unbundling or rate regulation, the support really just diminishes and drops off. So um, it kind of shows that you know the chairman is finding the sweet spot of um, having strong consumer protections under the um, the strongest possible uh, legal justification, which is under Title II, but not going to any extremes by uh, uh, bringing up highly controversial issues like unbundling or rate regulation. Right, and I just want to say that I'm not, I'm not I don't want to speak out in for, against unbundling because a number of our listeners strongly believe in open neutral networks and and our answer has been that if you want open neutral networks you need to build them at the city level yourself because uh we don't see a future where the government's going to require that of others who have built networks. Um, so I want to turn to uh, a, a, com- a question about transparency. Um, you know, there's a, a question about um, how the transparency rules might differ from what we currently have. Uh, do you have any sense of that? Well, remember uh, when the court vacated the 2010 open internet rules, it kept the transparency rules from 2010. Um, so transparency was not as controversial as the rules that got uh, vacated and sent back to the FCC for more work. They're they're not meant to be burdensome either. Uh, uh, transparency rules are meant to be just a way for consumers and uh, and users on the network to understand how networks uh, intend to manage uh, their traffic, and and you know that means uh, posting them publicly. Uh, and it's, you know, I would be surprised that it would it would be burdensome to a company to share uh, what the expectations are for how um, they're going to manage their their customers' uh, network. Um, it's not something that I would think would need to change often. And when it does change, you know, it just requires uh, reposting uh, your practices. The final issue I wanted to ask you about is a concern for for small providers that that generally have always resolved complaints locally. Uh, There's some intimidation factor in terms of the idea that now um, I, as a citizen, could complain about their broadband service to the FCC in D.C. and that it would be challenging to resolve a complaint that's, you know, so far from my community uh, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, what can you tell us about how uh, this this ability to file complaints uh, might be different from what we're used to? Well, you know, first of all, the FCC has has a long history of letting consumers file complaints uh, about service, whether, you know, it's on the phone network or whether it's uh, uh, the the decency laws that everyone's so familiar with uh, from recent uh, history. But um, so it's common for consumers to complain at the FCC. Um, I think that uh, uh, it's important, actually, in these rules – that there's uh, the opportunity for consumers to complain. It's often hard for consumers to see when they're uh, being degraded. Uh, it's much easier for them to see when they're being blocked from going to a certain part of the internet. Um, but uh, that's why I think you know com- the complaint process under Title II is actually uh, better for consumers and hopefully not burdensome on uh, network providers. You know, uh, in the chairman's original proposal. Uh, he had uh, a standard for uh, adjudication that was uh, called the commercial reasonable standard, and it has uh, a, a list of things that have to be checked in order to see if each individual case was, in fact, a case of discrimination or blocking online. Um, I think the advantage of uh, having rules under Title II is that it sets a very simple standard of 
unjust and unreasonableness uh, rather than a multi-tiered, multifaceted commercial reasonableness test. And 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 uh, the the standard for what the FCC sets as unjust and unreasonable um, discrimination uh, can be understood at a high level, and uh, network providers can uh, you know prevent themselves uh, can proactively keep themselves from crossing that line. Uh, it, w- it would be strange to have rules and not allow people to actually complain about violations. Otherwise, those rules would have no teeth. Unjust and unreasonable. Uh, can I go to the FCC and say, you know what, like um, Comcast uh, is uh, is too slow in um, in in fixing uh, my 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 outage, and so I'm gonna file a complaint and get them embroiled, or or I don't like that that my utility just raised my price. I mean, is is that something I can go and just file a complaint over? Not under net neutrality rules. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I guess you know what I'm trying to get at. I think is is um, is the the friv- is there is there a, is there a way for someone to abuse the system with frivolous complaints, or does the FCC have a filtering mechanism? Right. So, when complaints come in, the FCC has to look into them, but they also have to figure out uh, if they make sense, if they're worthy of further investigation. So, um, believe me, I've. I've received, in my time working at the FCC, I've received calls from consumers where they had uh, concerns and I didn't even have to pass it on to uh, you know, for the, uh, an attorney for further investigation because uh, it was very simple. The consumer was asking for something that is not required under the law so, um, or under FCC regulations. So um, you, know, you need to give people a chance to voice their concerns. I think that's an important function of a regulatory agency, but then uh, uh, I think the agency is very careful to make sure that uh, they are uh, only investigating those complaints that uh, that truly, you know, uh, raise a question about service. And 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 companies, you know, uh, it's, in, it's important that they have a chance to respond, and so there's a process set up for how you respond to those complaints. Now, let me just finish off by asking you to just, again, we'll take a step back and look at the broad view. You know, public knowledge, you're not just, a, you're not just out there advocating on telecom issues. You're often working with, with entrepreneurial, small, nimble businesses that, that, don't, that, that aren't ones that are normally, um, you know, working around heavy-handed rules and that sort of thing. So I feel like public knowledge, uh, you know, is not the only organization that knows how to strike a balance. But I think you really do know how to strike a balance. And and what's your impression of how the balance has been struck on Title II? You know, I think they, they've worked very hard in this proposal to strike a fair balance. Um, you know, in the uh, in the notice of proposed rulemaking, the the, the uh, document that started this whole proceeding, uh, the FCC highlighted uh, what they call the um, the virtuous cycle of investment, uh, and 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 I think that's key because. Uh, they made it very clear that they want to make sure that the, uh, the demand that's driving the growth of the internet uh, is not harmed, and that and that cycle comes both on the network uh, side, the the side of companies that build the infrastructure and roll out new networks, but it also comes from the content that rides over it. You know, the edge providers that you hear about, and if you harm either one of those, that you hurt the balance. Uh, that, that virtuous cycle of investment that, that is driving uh, consumer demand. You know, the, 
new and innovative applications and services online uh, make people want better and faster networks, and better and faster networks um, lead to newer, innovative services online that can use those networks um, in ways that people have never thought of. So it is a virtuous cycle, and, and I think the FCC has noted that, uh, as the court has, and people are very aware of striking a balance that um, that doesn't hurt either side of of, uh, of that growth uh, in uh, in the internet, both on the content side and the network side. We want to see that. Um, and and when you see uh, an FCC chairman put out a proposal uh, that carefully forbears from parts of the act, you you can tell that he's sensitive to the concerns of all types of businesses as well as consumers. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and helping us to to get down into something that's really pretty technical. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. We hope you'll take a few moments to donate to ILSR.org to help us continue this valuable service. We want to thank Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have yourselves a great day. <laughs>